0: This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, October 6, 2018. And we are here today to bring you news of the best new movie of this modern age. For I have gone forth and seen venom and have returned to tell you, our audience, about precisely how awesome it is. I will not tell you it's any more awesome than it is, and I will not tell you it's any less awesome than it is. I will tell you precisely how awesome it is, but before I do, John, how was your week?
1: Hey, Teddy War Pig. It was a good week. What can I say? I finished up that board game retreat in the mountains, and it was a glorious, glorious weekend.
0: Yeah, because we were talking about that last weekend.
1: While Did I was there, there? We, we, had to, we had to suspend our game of Terraforming Mars, and they all went and played Power Grid while I uh, joined us at, here at the show.
0: Ah, I got killed in Power Grid the last time I played
1: that. Uh, Power Grid's a wonderful game if you like arithmetic. Do you like doing arithmetic?
0: No, wait, that's not true. The last time I played Power Grid, I was almost in first place. I clawed my way up from dead last to almost first place. So I, that's not actually getting killed. That's a, that's an accomplishment, is actually my my opinion is. If you start off in the very first turn, you're presented with a lot of disadvantages, but you fight your way up to second place in a table of six, that's, that's not bad. That's not a shame. You didn't win, but you still got up to second. That's a victory in my opinion.
1: That's very good. And one of the cool things about Power Grid is that it's it's designed for that. If you are in the back, if you're, if you're losing, you have small advantages uh, during the next turn so that you can, it's sort of like a rubber band effect. So because you were able to vault your way to second place, maybe, maybe you didn't win, but it means that you successfully uh, used the mechanics of the game to get to that position. You don't just get handed second place. You took your position and you made the best of it, and, and that's, that's a good Power Grid gamer.
0: One of the things about Power Grid that enables you to get up to the front uh, if in the right circumstances, as the game goes on, energy gets more and more expensive, um, yeah. just a function of the function of how the game works. If you are cursed with some inefficient power plants because of bad draws or whatever, those power plants have a greater fuel requirement, so you have to spend more to get fuel from them they also have a greater fuel capacity. So if you spend more, you can store double the fuel, fuel for this turn and next turn. And what that means is that if you're willing to spend the money and you have a little bit of money, you can spend extra money, fill up all your power plants with fuel, and then either deny fuel entirely to the next guys because you've cornered the market or make it so expensive that they can't afford it.
1: And that's what the last two turns are really notorious for that. Everybody has to stop and say, hold on, I need to do some math. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, we actually like to play the uh, – the, they made a card game version of Power Grid, which you might appreciate this. It's got all the, the fun of the resource market of Power Grid and, and the power plants. It's got all the fun power plants. It, it, but it doesn't have that obnoxious board where you have to f- spend $20 to get to a new city or, or anything like that. That's so it's difficult. Yeah, it's, I mean, it adds a layer of complexity, but when you take that layer of complexity away and you're, you're left with the bidding game, that, that mind game, and the, and the resource market, you realize those are the two fun parts of the game. Yes. Yeah, the map kind of gets in the way. I think so. Uh, but the, the map also adds some uh, interesting things because they, the original map was in Germany and they made a bunch of maps of other countries and the, those countries sort of imply the uh, different resource markets. France uh, is very heavy into nuclear power in the world. So yes. if you play on the French map, nuclear power is a lot cheaper. Um, uh, there's even a, a North Korea, South Korea map where at the beginning of the game you you have to choose which market you're in. You can't you can't cross markets. <laughs> you either have to play South Korea or you have to play Best Korea. I uh
0: I found out that on the German map if you have more than four people, the last and second to last people who the fifth, sixth whoever uh get to pick a starting point, they're all screwed cuz all the cheap good starting points are taken and you have a wall around you of high expensive places to expand through
1: yeah and it's it's up to the the, there's a mechanic where whereby later in the game more people can expand into the same cities yes it's 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 an it's an important skill for those people who are behind to be able to get into those cities first they have they have to reverse that order in the second phase if they do that successfully they'll have a chance at winning is there a way to speed up that second phase starting uh, it, it it goes pretty fast i mean it's just based on the number of cities uh or the level of the power plant so churning through the power plants and and cities oh ha- having cities down so just getting um sometimes i'll buy an extra city even though i won't be able to power it right uh if it becomes important but I mean, in practice, you can't really make it faster than one or one or two turns faster than it normally would go.
0: Because I, I was stuck behind that wall for three, four turns. I expanded, filled everything, and then hit that wall for like four turns, and that just—that's what killed me. That killed all momentum I had.
1: Yeah, that's that's normal. That's normal.
0: That was brutal. Okay. Um, now you I, had you had mentioned before we started there were a couple of games that you had. Played or not played or talked about not play. I don't remember what that conversation was.
1: Well, uh, well I wanted to, to point out a couple of games that, that I was playing. Uh, I'll have you know that final on Sunday after after the Geek Gab, the day after, uh, I finally had my first loss at Terraforming Mars. Oh, it that's ru- so terrible. It shot my whole Sunday. But I, I wanted to make sure that I, I sent you a link to the entry on Board Game Geek. yes. Terraforming Mars, so uh, I was hoping that you'd put that in the show notes for people to, people who are listening to check it out. And, and did
0: they add a note that you had your first loss on that in that article? Uh, no. <laughs> you don't have a worldwide reputation. You're not ranked nationally.
1: Well, I mean, it was just it was just for that weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've had other losses.
0: Oh, I see. Oh, see. Okay, I misunderstood. I'm like, does this bring down your ranking in the tournament play?
1: Are you a lower seed now because of it? I tell you what—if there were such a thing as competitive terraforming Mars, I would—I would probably jump join that tomorrow. <laughs> um, and and the other game that you want me to put in the notes under the show,
0: under the video, which I will is Zia Legend of a Drift System, or is that? Yeah, I,
1: I wanted to mention, mention it because it was sort of a—it's a space exploration game or a 4x game and it's done on the board with big hexagonal tiles and everybody's got their own spaceship and they get to outfit their spaceship however they want so i don't mention it because it's a good game uh it's it's a little too long it's there's a little too much downtime, and it's a little random but if you want to sit down with a few of your friends and outfit some ships and go shooting each other with lasers or um trading resources across different planets in the galaxy or or, uh, mining rare minerals, that sort of thing. If you want to do that sort of flying around in space, doing that, uh, you know, space fun stuff, uh, I recommend it. But it's for, it's for a certain type of gamer who is not me.
0: Just because it's too long. It has too much downtime.
1: Yeah. Too long, too much downtime, a little too crazy and random. Um,
0: In, in, in Power grid, you have to actually pay attention during your opponent's turn. You have to know what
1: they're doing. You can't yeah. just sit there. Exactly. Um, and and terraforming terraforming Mars is uh is a good in-between because it pays to see what your opponents are doing, but you can you can step away from the table for a few minutes and then come back and just look at the board state and see what what's going on. Uh, so that, um Weirdly enough, that brings me around to something I was discussing
0: last night, uh, which I won't jump into yet, uh, if you have anything else that you want to away. Okay. So last <laughs> night I went and saw Venom, and I went and saw Venom with two good friends of ours, um, Thomas and Brian. Oh, good. Um, and then we hung out after Venom, and we were talking shop for a bit about the, uh, the RPG I'm putting together. Cool. Cool. Um, And uh, it's part of a a small part of the big, big secret project. So an entire role-playing game is a small part of the big, big secret project. So uh, we were talking about difficulties that people run into in role-playing games. One of the difficulties they run into is downtime in combat. Um, And we were talking about causes of that, what brings that to happen. And, uh, you know, maybe it's the rules are too complex. Maybe it's that the players don't know the rules. Uh, maybe that it's, you know, it's difficult to know what you should be doing or what an optimal thing to be doing is. But one of the things I've noticed is when you're playing a game, it doesn't matter to you what the other person is doing right now, really. Fundamentally speaking, you don't have to pay attention to it. Right. Um, and then there's that gap. Because player A has something big and awful, awesome they can do in this combat. Player C has something big and awesome they might be able to do if the dice were right. But player B really doesn't. So they're just kind of bored through the whole combat. Um, and I think that contributes to boredom in combat
1: and uh, maybe slowing things down. So That's an interesting perspective. I think that's a that sounds like a common uh, that sounds like a common thing where in a game that has non-combat characters. Exactly. So,
0: I have a couple of things I want to put into the rules of my game to give players a framework they can ameliorate that if they so choose. It's not mandatory. I'm not imposing anything, but one of the rules is. If a player is ready to declare their actions within a minute, one minute, 60 seconds of the game master saying your turn, they get a bonus to whatever action they're going to take. If they're on the spot, if they already know what they're going to do, they get a bonus to that action. They can do it better.
1: Yeah, why not? So, I mean, while we're handing out bonuses.
0: Yeah, it's not mandatory, it's not punitive but players who are paying paying attention, players who are ready to go, players who don't have to take five or 10 minutes to decide their next action because, oh man. This also ties into something called the OODA loop, the Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act loop. Victory in a real world combat does not go to the people who take time to study and pick the absolute perfectly most efficient action. Victory in combat goes to people who can do a good, Action right now and react faster than the enemy and keep them off balance.
1: So you've just given away the secret to how I play Street Fighter. (laughs) All my all my friends are like, "Man, John, you're really good at this game." And I'm like, "If you say so." (laughs) My rule is all offense all the time. Yes. So absolutely.
0: And in in video games, if you have a choice of a power between defensive healing or offense, you go offense. Kill them first. Um, so we reflect the reality of combat in the game by giving players who are willing to skip trying to find the most efficient, uh, taking 10, 15, 20, half an hour to find the most efficient attack and make the best attack they can think of right now. They get a bonus because that's more effective than spending a bunch of time, wasting a bunch of time.
1: Right. Okay. Um, and, and that's, and that's, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's something I learned a, a long time ago. Um, and it's common at the RPG table for people to sort of want to think and talk and and plan out, and and frankly, that's not fun. It's, it's fun to some people, but I, you get to a certain point where someone just has to take action. It's not always, you know, there's always someone at the table that does that. Often it's me. It, often it's me, but so, it's often there, there's always someone at the table who, Um, everybody's talking about what they want to do, and one guy finally gets fed up and looks at the DM and says, I kick in the door. (laughs) So um,
0: the second thing that I think keeps people involved in is that the mechanics of the game are built such that it encourages teamwork. And here's how that works. In the course of a single round, player A does an action. It may be an attack, it may be a spell, or it may be uh, something extra like a trick, throwing sand in someone's face or whatever, distracting the enemy, whatever they choose to do. And there's six different skills that are each tied to different attributes. So the higher the attribute you have, you always have one of these skills that you can do something in combat how well you do on that check gives a bonus to your teammate on their next check whatever they decide to do and how well they do with your bonus in it gives a bonus to the next person so that's cool you have to make a plan you have to say okay My trick is I'm gonna try to get him to turn around, and then you can strike at his back while he's unprepared. You'll have a bonus to hit, maybe a bonus to damage if you can call your shot, whatever. It changes combat from a series of one man silos who are doing what they do best, but no real interaction. And there's some couple of other mechanics that encourage teamwork. To every round, the group of players is making a plan as a team, and each individual person, even if they're not good in combat, has an option to do something that contributes materially to this chain of attacks the group can put together. And so... You're no longer just sitting there waiting for someone else to get done with their moment in the sun so you can get your moment in the sun or not. You're actually planning and preparing as a team what you're going to do to take down this bad guy or take down this group of bad guys. Everybody is invested in combat. Everybody has a role to play, even if it's not the big, you know, Physical attack that fighter's big physical attack gets better because of other things everybody else can do and everyone can contribute.
1: I like it. That's that's more of like a that, that's a that's a positive reinforcement of the behavior that you want to happen, which is whatever way of doing it.
0: So I've been working on those mechanics. Obviously, I've got to play test them, but. Initiative in the game is done as a group, and the better your group does, uh, the better initiative they get. Um, So they go first, and then they can also start getting bonuses, including morale attacks on the enemy if they're doing really, really good uh, on the initiative, because that represents again what initiative is the OODA loop, um, which is the more aggressive and the quicker you are, the more. The uh, disconcerted, the more uh, off balance, the more confused the enemy is, and that will and can break their morale and make them flee or panic or whatever. So you fight as a group to gain the initiative, you fight as a group to get bonuses to do good attacks, to do better than you would otherwise, to take down bigger opponents than you would. And then there's a, another initiative using, uh, uh, and you know what the other initiative, supporters and things like that, I'll talk about that some other time. But when you're talking about this game, the Legends of a Drift system, uh, obviously that's a competitive game, and I'm not trying to criticize the design of it. But that problem of boredom in combat, I have noticed, and... I'm trying to build in ways for players, especially creative players. The more creative you are as a player, the more options you have to earn initiative and and seize initiative, and the more options you have to uh, aid other players with your attacks. And it's all about the teamwork so that every single round is a struggle to gain initiative points, to go first and to get benefits. And it's a team struggle. It's not an individual struggle.
1: I dig. I dig. I, I'm actually gonna bring up Jeffro Johnson in the chat. Yes. Because because he's been uh, he's been you know Jeffro, you can listen to the show, he's been ranting about uh DD Basic or or BX. Uh, B, BX does have solutions to these problems. No, it's an it's a different solution that isn't very popular with gamers. But uh, one of the one of the solutions they have, they do have team initiative which was changed to individual initiative a long time ago in second edition. Um, They did a team initiative, but they also had this idea of a shot caller, which is it's really different in RPGs. And it's the only way you can scale a a role playing game to have more than four people. Yes. More than four players, which is all the players, you know, the, the, the DM goes, gets a drink, right? All the players talk about what they want to do in the next turn. And then one guy says, all right, game master here's what we're doing and that's how you can scale lots of players in that's how you keep people engaged because as soon as all the planning's done as a team then you just execute the combat you know move this guy roll dice roll dice roll dice go 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 um I honestly i tried it with my D group and they hated it they hated the shot caller thing they just wanted to to take individual actions uh so that's something I think you want to establish at the outset of your, of your game session. Or if you're, I don't know, writing your own RPG, something you set up, you built in as part of the rules. Like, here are the rules. Combat is a team thing. This is, this is how we play the game. Everybody at the table comes together and they talk about what they're going to do. The, uh, and I should note this. Combat um,
0: initiative itself if you haven't seized the initiative yet, if nobody has more initiative points as a faction, it goes according to dexterity uh, or perception from high to low. So people who are more dexterous or more perceptive go first, less, third, fourth. And so you'll have heroes and villains being intermixed. One hero, one villain, two heroes, another and so on and so forth. And the benefit of gaining the initiative is your faction goes through their order first. And so, and the other thing, uh, the benefit of, say, establishing an ambush is you get a surprise action round before the enemy goes at all. And if you do good in that, you'll have initiative points, and so you'll get initiative beginning in the next round. So you get two full uh, action stats before the enemy can react at all. It's brutal. Ambushes are brutal. Um, so, Yeah. A lot to think about there, a lot to play test, but I'm all of these problems I'm thinking about all the time and trying to come up with solutions and, and put them together. So that's a little bit of a peek behind the scenes at the uh, at the design of my new RPG, some of the different things I'm trying to put in place.
1: Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to and and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit more on that, that whole idea of positive reinforcement because uh, you ran a game called Tor for Us. Yes. There's only one thing I really liked about it, and that was uh, every all the players get cards that they can use to affect the outcome of, and, of actions. Mm-hmm. In order to play those cards, you have to interact with the game and with the other players. Yes, with so, the game world, yes. With the game world. So that sort of positive reinforcement, like, uh, sorry, John, you can't play that plus two skill card. You actually have to provide an in-game action or in-game reason why you're you're helping. Uh, that's great. Uh, and I, I enjoy rules that encourage people to get into the game. I like that. I prefer that positive reinforcement uh, aspect. Uh, it's the same thing to get extra nerdy. It's the same thing when I'm designing programs or systems at work. When I, I prefer to design a program or a system that encourages that generates the results I want. Uh, it, instead of, you know, hard coding, you know, forcing things, forcing square pegs into round holes. I want I want to encourage the behavior that I want to see in the, in the end, if that makes sense.
0: One of the things that third edition stressed was system mastery. And I don't want to get in the argument about that. I just want to point something out. You engage with the rules and you learn the rules and they give you bonuses and you do better. That's system mastery. One of the things that the drama deck and TORG um, and other similar options are, are not system mastery, which again, I'm not criticizing, I'm not saying this completely wrong. That's completely orthogonal. It's a completely different discussion. It's a distraction from the point I'm about to make. So set that aside for just a second. It encourages taking the game world as a world and asking What is it I can do with the resources my character has, or would have, available? I'm in a room. Are there fire extinguishers? Are there chairs? Are there flagons full of mead? Are there, you know, uh, distracted uh, bystanders? what are the real, what is the reality of this world can you describe it to me game master and then i use those elements that are present to make my attacks or my other actions more effective and that's what allows me to play this drama deck card to get a bonus is because I identify concrete elements of the world, I accept the reality of the world, and then I take the action and I get the bonus. And I will say this, yes, there, this game does have cards like, like the drama deck. I took a lot of inspiration from Torg. It's completely different from Torg, but it does have cards like that, and those are the exact rules that apply to them. Is In order to gain a bonus from the card, you just describe, okay, there's lots of bystanders running around crazy. They're panicky. I'm going to step out of the crowd suddenly and attack from a direction they're not expecting because I'm using the crowd as cover. Now I can play this card, which gives me a bonus. It's not system mastery because the system is pretty simple. You've got a card. You get a plus three to attack. It is, If you can describe what you're doing, it is uh, engaging with the world as a world and using your imagination and coming up with creative Solutions, so that's that's exactly um, exactly how it works.
1: Uh, All right. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited about the whole project. Um. So, there, DW. Yes, I heard you went and saw a movie. Yes, I did. Uh, I saw the
0: whole movie. There are two after credit scenes. One of which was completely unexpected and uh, it, I'm going to blow this because it's not actually a spoiler for the movie. It has nothing to do with the movie. The last after-credits scene after the end of all the credits is like a two-minute clip from the new Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse animated movie Sony's
1: releasing on Christmas. Um, oh, uh, there's an animated Spider-Man coming out?
0: Yes, there's an animated Spider-Man Spider-Man movie coming out called Into the Spider-Verse it's about all of these alternate Spider-Men's Spider-Man's Spider's man Spider-man from alternate universes uh who whose paths crossed and they're they've got to uh take on something that I don't know what the original comic series was about and I don't know what they will make it about in the movie, but there's Peter Parker, there's Miles Morales from the Ultimate Spider-Man universe, there's Gwen, uh, Spider Gwen, which is, uh, she comes from a universe where Gwen Stacy got bit instead of Peter Parker, there is Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham, who's from a comedic, anthropomorphic animal universe, um... (laughs) Absolutely, I'm not making this up. This is literally in a trailer available on YouTube right now. Yeah, Uh, there is uh, a Dark Spider-Man from a pulp universe where he wears a trench coat and a fedora and stuff, and has pulp gadgets um, instead of, in addition to some spider powers. There is apparently a anime girl Spider-Man with a mech, um, a mech suit. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, and there's probably some others that I didn't see in the trailers and don't really know about. All of them come together to do something. That's the movie. It's coming out in Christmas. So you spend the last two minutes. The last after credit scene is two minutes um, in in uh, in the movie. So that's the second after credit scene. If you want to see it, you can stay after the you know the whole credits run. And I counted individually. There are roughly 500,000 individual computer animators listed for this movie. Um, It was difficult. I had to count very, very quickly, but I am pretty sure it was in the vicinity of 500,000 computer animators, which is impressive, I think. (laughs) Um, And then there was Venom, the movie, with Tom Hardy. Um, he's a great actor yeah and I've liked him better in every other role I've ever seen him in Aww. um, and so I will say this my biggest complaint about the Venom movie was that the Venom costume looked dumb I thought it looked stupid I thought it looked wet and uh, I mean it did it glistened with this high sheen so it looked wet or oily and um, maybe the best thing I can say about the movie is that the Venom symbiote and the Venom suit did not look as completely stupid as I thought it was going to. Uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, the special effects. Is that a ringing endorsement? I, um, uh, so, so tell us about the story. How's the story? I went and saw Rampage. Did you see Rampage? Of course you did. Yes, of course I did. Um, because we interviewed, we uh, reviewed it on the show. Indeed. Um, do you remember the
1: very first scene of Rampage? Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't remember anything about that film. Because
0: you'll see where I'm going as soon as I ask you that question. The very first scene of Rampage is. Space station in space, canisters of sciencey stuff. Oh, yeah. On the space station. Yes, now I recall. Crew emergency, and the space station crashes to Earth, and the stuff in the canisters gets out. Okay. Rampage. That's how it starts. Would you care to bet how Venom starts? Is it in space? It starts in space, in a spaceship, not a space station. So the differences already are huge. Huge differences between the two and the spaceship crashes to earth and there are canisters of sciencey stuff but instead of all of them breaking open and getting out only one does So you can immediately see the vast and consequential differences between Rampage and Venom. They are absolutely not at all the same. It was a spaceship, not a space station, and it wasn't all the canisters. It was only one. So... By gum and by golly, I will be physically upset if people claim that Venom was ripping off Rampage. Completely implausible for people to claim that. Moreover, the second scene in the movie had someone in an ambulance and the ambulance crashes in the middle of a forest and flips over and a character gets out of the ambulance and you know superhumany things are involved the fact that this was almost exactly the same as a scene in tom cruise's the mummy It is absolutely not exactly the same in every single detail. For one thing, the ambulance in Tom Cruise's movie was like an off-whitish or brownish color. And the ambulance in this movie is yellow. Completely different. So nobody say they're exactly the same. There is literally
1: minor differences throughout. And... So, so are, are you trying to maybe imply that these, these Hollywood script writers are just sort of piecing together a a bunch of stuff that's already been written before?
0: I would not be the sort to directly imply that. I, I, I am saying exactly the opposite. They are completely... Utterly original, and this movie is absolutely not reminiscent of every single paranoid mind control alien movie from the last hundred years. If you remember that Ryan Reynolds was in a movie with a creature from space who they stuck in a jar and experimented on and tested until it broke loose and became a monster and killed everybody aboard the space station that's a movie I, we reviewed in the last year absolutely completely different when this movie has a monster that's kind of shapeless and formless that's in a glass cage and they experiment on it and then it escapes and wreaks damage, completely different.
1: Totally and, not Totally not the same script. No, I, the, I can see the differences for sure.
0: And uh, all those movies where you have some sort of space parasite, that gets out and infects people's bodies and they get taken over by aliens and become alien um and physically change like like john carpenter's the thing um
1: well that was not
0: identical to all those things
1: well that was really that was that was really specific Why why would you mention the thing um that's a good movie it's been on my mind i haven't seen it in a long time um and and yes, just about all of those movies are very derivative of it. Um, you know what they should do? Theaters should just stop doing playing these films, and just say, you know what, we were we were going to show Venom because it's it's the new, hot new Marvel property. But you know what? Uh, we're going to save a lot of money, and we're just going to show John Carpenter's The Thing again. <laughs> um, now,
0: Venom is made by Sony Pictures. And on Twitter, I posted that I had gone back 10 years. It may have been 11. It may have been nine. I don't remember the exact duration. I went back and looked at every single of the hundred films Sony has produced in the last 10 years. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. Every single one. And there was... Two movies out of a hundred and something that were good, the rest were uniformly awful. That's not the first
1: time I've heard that.
0: Literally, every movie Sony has produced for a decade has been disastrously bad. And one of the movies I counted as not being awful was White House Down which was okay. It wasn't great, but it wasn't completely awful. Um, and I believe the other one that wasn't awful was maybe Heartbreak Ridge uh,
1: or something like it. It was a good prestige picture. Uh, that's, that's pretty damning. I mean, Sony Pictures basically comes out with garbage every time. Every single time. And Heartbreak Ridge wasn't even a Sony picture.
0: Mel Gibson got the script. Mel Gibson directed it. Mel Gibson produced it, and he only went to Sony after the movie was done and said, I need a that distributor. And they said, Okay.
1: And that was a great film. If I can, if I could make an aside, I mean, it's a it's a war movie, and people don't really make war movies anymore. And they're, and they're not, they're not an extremely popular genre, but that was a great war film.
0: Right. Heartbreak Ridge, great movie. I actually Actively endorse everyone. Go see it. it. It's an awesome movie. And it shows you how good Andrew Garfield can be and how much he was wasted in the, in the coincidentally, Sony
1: Spider-Man movies. Um, uh, which, which was a huge... You know, I know that we have to reboot these superheroes every every once in a while. Um, I'm glad Batman got a reboot. But let's be honest here. Sam Raimi did the best Spider-Mans. And, I think so. And Sam Raimi was born to play superhero movies. He got started in horror, and the only reason he got started with horror is because they were cheap to make, and all of his college buddies wanted to make one. Yeah. Uh, the man is uh, is a great – he's just a great uh, superhero movie. I, he, he finally came into his own when, uh, when he did Darkman, which I'm showing my age now. Uh, but Darkman was a great, great – uh, film. And it just showed everybody, oh, this is what he's supposed to do. Hire him to make Spider Man. There's no reason yeah. to make other crappy Spider Man. Spider Man? Spider's Men? So. Is
0: Venom a completely awful movie? No, it's not a completely awful movie. It's not a terrible
1: movie. It's just not terribly good. And it's bad enough that we've been talking about other movies this whole time.
0: <laughs> it, it, it. It is not a movie that is uh, fundamentally speaking. It's not a movie that is either. I don't know if they're not conversant with or they're not comfortable with heroes and heroism. Um, it is schizophrenic. The characterization of the venom symbiote doesn't make sense from one scene to another.
1: So, are uh, you saying that it doesn't have any clear motivation?
0: It, it no, it doesn't. It doesn't have any clear motivation, and and what motivation it has, just changes at random for no reason that makes sense. No reason that he... Uh, uh, unless unless you
1: understand that the motivation needs to change for the purposes of the script. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a big problem. He plays Eddie
0: Brock in a really strange way that I'm sure may be appealing as an actor, because it's highly unusual and lets him get away from some of the characters he's played in other times and other places. Um, and yeah it's interesting they did a they did a decent job not a super great job it's not obviously fake a lot of the time most of the time it's not obviously fake um you know it's just it's okay there's a lot of action and if you know you can overlook the fact that the hero isn't really heroic and the what the symbiote does doesn't make any sense, and why it looks the way it does doesn't make any sense, and why um what the plan of the eventual bad guy is doesn't make any sense, and how the Venom and Eddie Brock combination become sort of a really, really evil antihero to fight the eventual bad guy. You accept that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um If you can get past all that, there's action. They drive fast. Things get blown up. There's really cool fights that use the Venom powers, interestingly. Um, And also overlook the fact that there's a lot of cliches in the movie. Tell me if you've heard this one before. There is a bold and brilliant but personally a little bit self-destructive, crusading reporter, who is told that their station and is hanging by a thread. And all they have to do to save their job and to save the station is to go out and interview this one guy. If they do a puff piece interview of this one guy, everything in their life will be fine and then the crusading reporter goes out
1: and what do they do uh, i'm i'm guessing they don't do that exactly because that's what happens
0: every single time this this kind of character is trotted out
1: that's what they do this is this is not sounding good, man. So he gets
0: fired. He gets blackballed, apparently, from any and all employment in the city, including fry cooks and dishwashers. This rich person he offended.
1: Oh, wow, that black. was fast.
0: Blackballs him from every job. And his fiance gets fired because he's a reporter, and he snuck into her computer, and her law firm works for the bad guy's company. They represent the bad guy, and so she had some confidential information on her computer, and he snuck into her computer and got some confidential information that he can't actually use because he can't substantiate it or corroborate it without revealing that he broke the law.
1: And that this makes them the bad guys, that they're they're going to shut someone down and fire someone for breaking into their systems? Is that yes.
0: what they're going with? Um, that somehow too bad. And so he gets his girlfriend fired from her law firm. Um, and then literally they show this. They have him go into the uh, his editor who says, hey, can you corroborate this? And he has to sit there and say, no, I can't. Because he can't corroborate it. Because he broke in and and read a document, a brief he wasn't supposed to, about a wrongful death lawsuit. There's a wrongful death lawsuit against the uh, the owner of a major medical slash space exploration company, a complex of companies. You're sending rockets into space with people aboard them, and you're conducting human trials for dozens of medications, and some people died. Completely evil, proves evil, um, and he can't use any of this information, so it does him no good. He, he blew up his entire life for no good reason. Not only is it dumb, it's a cliche. It, it, it's maybe the most cliched cliche of all the cliches. Um, in fact, I think that was a plot point two or three years ago, in South Park, where <laughs> South Park, the crusading school newspaper published something that the administration told him not to and his newspaper got shut down. Um, I think Jimmy, Jimmy the reporter did that. Uh, and so, that's how cliched it is. The South Park makes fun of it.
1: Oh, yeah. um, I'm glad you got that one. I'm not a South Park viewer. So, yeah. it um, It's a
0: cliche. And there's a lot of cliches. There's
1: it's this lady. A, it, just, it just sounds like it's a bunch of lazy writing, honestly.
0: At, at one point, they're introducing the science team and this kind of odd and idiosyncratic lady is introduced, and as soon as she came on screen, literally, it's literally happened in real life, I leaned over to my friend Thomas and says, she dies horribly at some point.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's pretty easy for, for this kind of movie, if it's a monster movie. Um,
0: But all the other scientists in the lab, none of them died horribly. But her, that one specific character, does, in point of fact, die horribly at some point in the movie.
1: Well, it's going to happen.
0: <laughs> I called it. So, yeah. I'm not saying this is a terribly bad movie.
1: It, it, doesn't, sound like, it doesn't sound like a terribly bad movie. It just sounds like a, a generic, by-the-numbers, monster-slash-anti-hero movie and. In- Either you want to go see that or you don't. Exactly. That's precisely it.
0: It's generic and by the numbers. There's not a lot of thought put into it to make it stand out.
1: Um, That's too bad. With, with such a great um, actor as a lead, a charismatic guy, and a guy who's been known to uh, put forth amazing performances of a villain behind a mask. Yep, is it's, it's an it's a awful misuse of Tom Hardy.
0: Um, I mean, I don't have a lot else to say about them. If you're going to see me, oh, should I go pay money to see it? I said, well, it's generic. It's okay. It's, it's decent. If you can overlook the cliches and unintended or intentional, I don't know, you know, pieces that are similar to those from other movies, then yeah, go see it. I mean... It's all right. It's okay. It's not bad. It doesn't insult your intelligence. It doesn't do a whole lot of, or hardly, it doesn't preach at you. It doesn't stop for, you know, five minutes so they can rail against President Trump. Um, The main villain isn't a stand-in for any obvious political figure. In fact, the main villain is not an old white man. No, I'm just, I'm I'm putting it out there. That's the main villain is not an old white man in the current year. Get out of here. And so, you know, they're they're not they're not building this cliche by the numbers according to some ideological template. They're they're building it according to the tropes of monster movies and and some superhero movies and stuff like that. So. It, it's I mean, he lives in San Francisco. He's a reporter in San Francisco. Apparently, he's like a you know, a modern-day gonzo news reporter, like Howard W. Hunter, only he does it on the air for this local station. And so they mention, you know, uh protestations and resist for just like a couple of frames, and then they immediately go to we think the mayor of city council uh, and the city council, the mayor of San Francisco and the city council suck. That's the next thing we see is this old, you know, protester lady telling us how the mayor of San Francisco sucks. So it's not a dig against Trump. It's a dig just against the kind of crap that goes on in San Francisco. He's going to be covering it. Of course, they're going to talk about Trump, but they're also talking about how bad other things are.
1: Right. Right. Now that's reasonable. Just, yeah. Politicians suck. Yeah. We all know that. Or like, uh, that reminds me of, um, that reminds me of Ghostbusters. You know, the villain was the city council. It's, yeah, they're just, yeah, it, it's like, it, it's in government. We don't have to, it doesn't have to be a particular person.
0: And, and it, it was just this montage of news stories from him doing reporting. And so he's just reporting on the things that happened in San Francisco. Those are happening to be a couple of them. And, and the point of the montage is that homeless people have been disappearing suspiciously and, and showing up in the, landfill and nobody knows why but they think that maybe it has something to do with this you know kind of elon musk-ish character so okay. I, i'm 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 i feel like maybe i should give a recommendation for a certain group of people because they will probably love it and like it and the audience in the movie theater seem to love it or like it i just can't recommend it because i couldn't love it or like it um, I I felt like watching the last half of the movie, I was completely divorced from the thrill ride that the directors wanted me to be on. And I was just looking at it dispassionately and disconnected and analytically because the movie had thrown me out of being emotionally involved with it. I was just sitting back and watching it happen and thinking about it and analyzing it but that wasn't the same reaction that most of the audience have when the movie was over some of the audience cheered and clapped and stuff people seem to really love the there's this and, and it's a really well done scene it's a cool scene he's on a motorcycle he's got the venom virus symbiote parasite He's driving through the city and the bad guys are chasing him and he's doing all these. He's not doing anything because he doesn't know exactly what's going on. The venom parasite keeps on doing all these things to keep him alive. Like he drives past this car. It rips the door off the car and throws it in back of them just in time to catch an explosion so they don't get killed. Um, it grabs a hold of two things and propels the bike. Uh, at one point, the bike needs to make a sharp corner so the Venom symbiote throws itself out into this patch on the ground and then has this strong tendril attached to him and whips him around this corner impossibly fast and then gloops back onto him. And the bad guys are looking all stunned. They're like, what the hell was that?
1: Yeah. that was freaking cool.
0: it, It was a cool chase scene. I'm not lying. And they don't stop for long Boring things. There's always something going on. And I feel like for a large portion of the movie going audience, they'll like the movie. I- I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying you won't like it. I, despite all the negative things I said earlier, I don't feel like I can truly claim that my reaction will be the same for everybody. But it was my reaction because I just was thrown out of it so much because I've seen these cliches play out for you know over 30 years. I've seen these things again and again and again, but it's possible that teenagers or young adults may not have seen all the movies I've seen, so they're not cliches to them because they're brand new. They're fresh. They're still exciting. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and so I'm really trying to be fair with this one. I'm really trying to give the movie, to present my verdict of the movie in the context of how I approach it, and to give people a fair warning that they may approach it differently and they may enjoy this movie a lot more than I did. And if they do, then go see it. If, you, if it sounds like you like all this action, you know, there's this really cool fight scene in a building where there's a bunch of uh, cops who have cornered him, uh, SWAT officers, they have guns and shields and stuff, and there's a lot of clouds going on, he has this cool multi-level battle with them where he's going up and down and jumping the ledges and throwing comps around. And it's cool. It's a cool fight scene. If I had been into the movie at that point, I would have found it really thrilling. That's in there. There are lots of things like that in there. It just didn't reach me because I had already been pushed out of it by just being really Old and jaded. Old and jaded, but also <laughs> at the same time, kind of quizzical about what the hell they were doing with uh, with the symbiote. The symbiote, his speech patterns, and the things he says are really weird. It's like they're halfway going for some inhuman alien thing, but halfway going for like... A modern hip cynical snarky thing and it just it didn't mesh well with me so but I'm not saying you'll hate this movie I'm not even saying you should hate this movie given all these caveats it's not a terrible movie it's just not terribly good it's really generic but if you like this kind of movie I think you'll probably like Venom that's what I'm trying to say as I've been repeating myself for the past ten minutes That's what I've been saying over and 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 over again for 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, man. But I hear you. It sounds like it's generic, lazily written schlock.
0: It really is. Woody Harrison has a surprise cameo.
1: Well, you just ruined the surprise. Thanks a lot, man.
0: Yep. It was kind of interesting when he showed up. I thought it was... I thought his cameo was amusing. It was funny. It tickled my funny bone. Um, Oh, by the way, the girl, his girlfriend, when she dumps him, she goes off and get a new boyfriend. Okay, He's not a jackass. Oh, of course. He's not an asshole. You don't hate him. They don't make him out to be a bad guy. He's a good guy. (laughs) He's a doctor. He (laughs) does everything he can to help out Tom Hardy. That's kind of unusual in a movie like this. This is the one non-lazy choice they made, maybe, is they make this doctor an actually good guy. He's concerned. He's caring. He goes out of his way to try and help Tom Hardy, to, to you know bring him into the hospital and stuff. So normally in a movie like this, they would make the boyfriend a gigantic jerk or one of those guys who's really, really happy and friendly, but in a really jerky way. Um, and so... They didn't do you that.
1: sympathize with the protagonist, of course.
0: Yeah, you, you want to make you sympathize with Tom Hardy's character so we'll make the new boyfriend a jerk so you can you know sneer at it when he gets killed later or whatever. Uh, my new spoiler, they don't do that. They don't kill this guy off so you'll feel better for Tom Hardy. They don't make him into a massive jerk hole. So th- there's one at least non-lazy thing they did in the movie. Um, they stick the symbiote in a room at one point, and you immediately think you can't have him trapped in that room because it's going to get out easily, and then like 30 seconds later, it gets out easily. Uh They thought that through. Um, There are several points, and the, the plot is not randomly assembled. They do think things through in several ways, and yes, the tropes and the vocabulary and the language is kind of lazy, but they did not they did not leave obvious gaping consequential holes in the narrative. At one point, Tom Hardy and the Venom symbiote get separated and then later they get back together and how that sequence of events occurs, where the symbiote gets from where he was to being back with Tom Hardy makes perfect sense. Its actions, the actions of every creature or character involved and what it does makes perfect sense and follows absolutely logically. You cannot fault that. This is not a bad movie. This is not a terrible movie. I And I just saw Predator, the Predator. That was a terrible movie. That was a movie with massive gaping plot holes and strange jumps in logic. This movie doesn't do that. So there are good things about this movie, even though I'm kind of focused on the bad. There are good things to recommend about this movie. It's not an awful movie. It's just not awfully good. That's, and I say that for good reason. All right, I'm done. I think I'm done. I think I've said everything I want to say. I think we are done. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about before, uh, before you take off?
1: Oh, that's, that's about it on my plate. It has been a pleasure to speak with you and hang out with uh, Jeffro and the crew in chat talking about games um i uh, appreciate everybody
0: uh who came and listened to the show live thanks for being involved in the chat and discussing like D and marvel comics and uh all these other um all these other uh topics at the side discussions always have if you want to come and watch us live by all means do so the chat is always highly energetic and uh thanks to youtube's new stuff from the last couple of months you can even read the chat though not participate After the show's over. I'm going to add some links to the couple of board games that, um, Darnall was discussing earlier. So you guys can go check them out on board game geek, decide if they are worth it for you. Um, I appreciate everyone who's listening live or who's listening to this show later. We are available on youtube.com slash geekgab. We are also available on the iTunes store. We are also available on the Google Play Store and we are also available on soundcloud.com. Do a search for Geek Gab. You can subscribe to us and listen to this show on the platform of your choice. Uh, if you're on YouTube, by uh, all means like it. If you like the video, subscribe and uh, be sure to ring the bell. I am told that's the term that all the hip new YouTubers are using. Be sure to ring the bell so you can get uh, immediate announcements when shows like this are going live. This is Geek Gab. We are here about every week, not every Saturday at this time. Uh, next week, we have John Mollison, uh, a member of the Pulp Revolution and a Pulp author who is releasing a new book. He's going to be coming on the show to discuss his new book next week at this time. But until then, we are going We are leaving you bereft, but don't you worry, don't you
1: fret, we will be back.